right. Well, hey, we're moving right along in the series we've been in for the past couple of weeks called Over the Top. We're talking um, about generosity, uh, but more than just talking about generosity in terms of giving stuff away, we're really trying to expand our definition of what generosity actually is. Um, as we live in a culture that kind of puts uh, the highest value on physical things, on money, on possessions, we want to back up and say, wait, but generosity is more than that. Uh, there are other things that we can be generous with. In fact, there are even greater things that we can be generous with. Well, we, we do believe that being generous with our physical possessions is important. Like if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, Jesus teaches often about the way that we should view our money and use it for his glory and, and those kind of things. Uh, and so we don't deny that. We want to be generous with our stuff. But at the same time, we recognize, well, we want to be generous with our lives, with everything that we do. And so, uh, you know, we, we've talked so far in the series about a couple of things. We said we want to be generous with our time. It's one of the most, as often says, the most precious resource we have, the most valuable resource, the most limited resource we have. We can't manufacture any more time. We've got the amount that we're going to have, and so we want to be generous with that. Uh, last week, we talked about um, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've had an experience with him in which he's changed your life and done something in you, that we want to be generous with that. We want to share with the world around us what Jesus has done in our lives, and not like in a preachy kind of way that's just like cold and just like, hey, you know, let me just tell you about Jesus and get out of there, but in a way that says, he has so transformed me, and my life is, is so different in the best ways imaginable and so much better, and he brought me through this, and I just want you to experience what I've experienced, so we want to share that with people. Today, we're going to continue that conversation, uh, but to do so, we're going to come into this idea of like what is most important, what do we want to focus on? As we talk about generosity, it's more than just something that we do. It's actually the lives that we live. It's, it's who we are. We don't just want to uh, act generously, but we want to be generous people, right? We want to be known for that. And so to do that, we, we have to stay focused on the things that really matter most. It's so easy in any area of life to get distracted, to get, kind of get off course and be like, what was I doing and what was that about? Like, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot. I mean, like, I find myself doing that multiple times a day, getting distracted and having to, to refocus. And so in our conversation this morning, I want to start by focusing us on the thing that matters the most as we discuss this idea of generosity. We've been exploring the topic of generosity through the Apostle Paul's letter, one of his letters. He writes to First and Second Thessalonians, his letter, his first letter to the church at Thessalonica. Uh, this, this city and what was at, at that time was Macedonia. Today it would, be, uh, it would be Greece. It was the capital city of Macedonia. And he writes to encourage these followers of Jesus and to instruct them. And in his instruction, we see some, some insights into what it means to live generous lives. So we're going to get to Paul's words today, but we're not going to start with Paul. Today, I want to start with something else. Because the thing that Paul says, they're actually, it's not actually not his own idea. It's not something that he came up with. It's something that he is actually reflecting on or reteaching, something that uh, we first see Jesus teaching on. And so Jesus is asked one moment, what is the most important thing? If we're talking about focusing on what matters the most. Uh, and, and if you've been a part of Hope Community or around for any length of time, you're like, haven't we already talked about this? We have. We, we talk about this thing we're going to look at at least once a year, maybe multiple times a year, because Jesus actually says when he's challenged, someone comes, hey, what's the most important law? What's the most important commandment? Jesus gives them this answer. And we're, we are a Jesus church. Like, unashamedly, like Jesus is the best, he's awesome, we're taking our marching orders after him, and so we think if he says something is the most important, we're going to take his word for that and say this is the most important, so we're going to talk about it. Um, so Jesus is, is asked, and this comes up in different gospel accounts, we're going to look at Matthew's recording of it um, as we set up this conversation today. He's asked by a religious leader, Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 36, teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? 
So a, a Jewish religious leader asked Jesus, tell me what the most important command is. It's not really an honest question. He's looking to kind of get Jesus trapped because there were 613 Old Testament commands. And he knows if I can get Jesus to pick one, that means he's ignoring all the other ones and I got him. Uh, but Jesus, you know, he's brilliant. He is you know, the son of God after all. And so he knows exactly what this guy is doing and he gives him the perfect answer. Jesus says to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. He says all the law and prophets. What he's saying is all of what we would refer to as the Old Testament was the Jewish scriptures, because there's a Jewish religious leader asking him this. Everything that we call the Old Testament can be summed up into these two things, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And then by extension, we can even include everything that's written in the New Testament as well. That everything about, like, if you're going to follow Jesus, you want to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian, live the Christian life, it's like sum it up into a statement, love God and love neighbor. Everything that you will do will fall into one of those two buckets. He's like, this is what matters the most. As we think about uh, the lives that we live, the faith that we have, there's like a vertical axis and a horizontal. There's the vertical, and that's that love God. Like, what, what's going on in my heart? You know, how, am I being transformed? Am I being shaped? Am I allowing his spirit to change who I am? Is, am, I, am I reading his word? Am I aligning myself with who he is? Am I worshiping him? Am I devoted to him? There's, that's that vertical. But then there's also this horizontal, that, that my love for God actually spills out into the way that I interact with the world around me, and I treat the people around me, and I love the people around me. And Jesus is like, hey, both of these are important. We've actually gotten in the habit, our uh, small group that meets at my house on Thursday nights, we begin in the series that we're going through right now, we begin our group discussion um, with this thing. It's just called the Jesus Creed, and it's just, we say this out loud, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because we just know as we come into this discussion, everything we're going to talk about, it's about this. It's about loving God and loving the people um, around us. And so it's a really, really big deal. Uh, and again, notice for Jesus that they're, they're not two separate commands. It's not multiple choice. He doesn't say the first, like the greatest commandment is this and the second greatest is this. He says, no, here's the greatest and the second is like it. Meaning it's, it's, it's just like the first in terms of importance and significance that you can't, they're inseparable to love God and love our neighbor as ourself. Now here's what we're gonna do in our time together. We're gonna be focusing, I'm gonna tell you right out front, um, on mostly on that second part, right? Like loving our neighbor, when we talk about generosity, we wanna love our neighbors as ourselves. But before we jump into that, just from the beginning, I feel like, like I, have to, I have to say this and, and remind us of this, that when we talk about loving our neighbor, it's not to the exclusion of loving God, that we have to do both. Oftentimes, it, it seems as though we're really tempted to fall into one or the other. At different times, different seasons of, of, of history or uh, of the church, maybe the different traditions, we're going to focus on one or the other. No, no, we, don't, we don't have that option. It's both. And maybe depending on your experience with the church or with Christianity, maybe you grew up in church, maybe you didn't, maybe you just kind of saw it from the outside, maybe you're, you're just now kind of trying to figure out what all this is about. A, a lot of times there has been a focus on that first part, right? Love God, do all the right things, behave the right ways. There's like that very much vertical. But it's like, but how I treat other people? Eh, whatever, that's not that important, right? But now, not always, but... Now sometimes instead of going, wait, that was wrong, let's correct that and get back to loving God and loving our neighbor, we, we just take the opposite approach and say, let's just move to the other extreme and let's just love everyone. But what about loving God? Well, we just, all God wants us to do is love people. But if we don't love God first, we don't actually know what it looks like to love people. 
Because when we love God, it's revealed to us who he is. And so we can love our neighbors. We know what his truth is. We know what his word is. We know what his spirit is doing. We know what it looks like to love. Because God, as John writes in his letter, God is love. So to love our neighbor, we have to know God. The two go together. We love God and we love our neighbor. Jesus said, this is what's most important. This is what's most important. This is what you should focus on. This is what your life is about. Loving God and loving the people around you. What we're going to see is the Apostle Paul takes these two ideas and he weaves them together in his words to the Thessalonians. He takes both parts of these and says, Thessalonians, here you go. And so let's jump in. First Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 11. So this is all the way at the end of chapter 3. Paul says this. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. So Paul, over the next couple of verses, verses 11 through 13, he's going to jump into kind of the spontaneous prayer. Earlier in chapter 3, he had said that uh, he had sent Timothy to the Thessalonians, and so Timothy was one of Paul's protégés. He was kind of in ministry with him. Paul really wants to get to see the Thessalonians, but he can't get there, so he sends Timothy. Timothy comes back and brings a report, and it's a good report. He's like, hey, the Thessalonians are doing great, and they're, they're growing in their faith. Paul loves that report, and then he kind of breaks into prayer, and he says, hey, oh my goodness, this is great. Now here's his prayer. May our God and Father uh, and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. So the first part of Paul's prayer is for himself. You know, he, he's, he's praying to God, but he's also wording it to the Thessalonians, so it's kind of like half prayer, half teaching. But his idea is this. Paul is saying, God, would you please make a way for us to get back to the church in Thessalonica? I want to see them again. I want to spend time with them again. I want to be with them again. I want to pour my life into them again. And so there's this heartfelt prayer to be with them again. And from there, he's going to shift the focus of his prayer. He's prayed kind of his prayer for himself, and now he's going to spend two verses praying for the Thessalonians. He's going to pray two specific things for them. The first one is in verse 12. He says, And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. So the first thing, he's like, okay, Thessalonians, I have a prayer for you. If there's one thing that I could pray for you, if there's one thing I could ask for God on your behalf, here is the thing that I want God to do in your life. I want him to cause your love to increase. That's the first thing that Paul wants for this Thessalonian church. I want your love to increase. In fact, he uses two words that essentially mean the same thing. They're just like synonyms to really uh, magnify the level in which he wants their love to increase. Right? He says, the first thing he says, I want you to, uh, the Lord to cause your love to increase. Right? It means to uh, aboundingly, like kind of overflow, uh, to the, uh, increase abundantly. And the second word, we translate overflow here means the same thing, to cause, to abound, to be, to be uh, provided in a super abundance. And so he's saying the same thing twice, and when you put two of the same thing together, it's this idea of what's called the superlative degree, to really, really make a point. Like in English, we've kind of got like good, better, best. We've got those three levels. And we, we add er to something that's a little bit better. We add s to things that are the best. So this is like him saying, I want it to be the bestest. I want it to be the greatest. I want you to be the most lovingest Okay, it's like I can't even describe with one word how much I want your love to increase. I want it to be the bestest love, the greatestest love, the most overflowingest love. And you're like, that's not good English, Paul. Paul's like, I don't care. It's what I want. This idea is that if you have like a bucket, if your life is a bucket of like, and you're asking God, would you fill me up with love for the people around me? And it gets to the top and you're like, okay, it's good. It's good. Like you turn it off, turn it off. It's full. It's full. And he's like, no, I'm not turning it off. I'm going to keep pouring into that bucket your ability and desire to love other people until it is flowing out of you to the people around you. Paul's like, that's what I want for you. 
That's what I'm asking God to do in your life, that your love would increase and overflow. And he, he kind of calls out two different directions or two different groups of people for this love to go to. You have this kind of love for one another. And so the first group is he's talking about the church, the family of believers, that the thing that is to define the church is this back and forth love for each other. It's not that some people do all the loving and some people just do the receiving. It's like I'm loving you and you're loving me and we're all loving each other. It's just Barney up in here. We're a happy family, okay? It's like that is the picture. It's like I just want you to love each other, this back and forth. But then he also kind of tempers that with I don't want you to only love each other. Because sometimes we're like, we can get really, really good at loving each other, and we go like this, and we just love each other, and we ignore everybody else out there. It's like, I want you to love one another, that, that love to increase and overflow, but I, I, I want that love to be for everyone. Not just the people who are there in your church gathering. The people you go to work with, the people you go to school with, uh, the people in your family, the people in your neighborhood, the people in other churches. It's like, I, I, want, I want you to love everyone. I want you to love each other. And I want you to love everyone. And this is just as we do for you. And so if you've been with us, Paul's kind of, the last past couple of weeks that we've seen his words, he's been weaving in this idea of uh, his actions towards the Thessalonians. Basically saying, learn from my example. It's like you've experienced firsthand what this kind of love looks like. And Paul's like, I want you to do the same thing. First part of Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians, love each other. Love your neighbors. Love the people around you. Verse 13, here's the second half of his prayer for the Thessalonians. And may he, talking about God, make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. So here's the second part. The second part of Paul's prayer is, yes, I want you to love each other, but I also want God to do something in you, for there to be an inner transformation, for there to be a holiness in your life. This idea of, of that, that internal, that vertical, that holiness, that righteousness. I want to pray these two things for you. Paul prays for the Thessalonians what Jesus said the greatest commandment was. Essentially, Paul's prayer for them is, Lord, would, they make, would you allow the Thessalonians and make the Thessalonians love you more and love their neighbors more? Something in them and something through them. Love each other and love God. And so this is Paul's prayer. This is the end of chapter 3. He goes into chapter 4 then, not praying these things for them. He's prayed them, but now he's going to go into instructing them to do these things. So chapter four opens up and Paul begins to talk about, hey, here's what, what God's will is for you. And we're like, I want to know what that is. Like the amount of times that I've been asked, hey, what's God's will for my life? Like people, we love that question. We, we want to do the right thing. Um, and just as an aside, one of these things is like God's specific will, like where are you going to live and what are you going to do for a living and who you're going to marry? Usually like the kind of things that we think, what is God's will for me? He's like, I don't know, pick. <laughs> You've got freedom in that. You, have, you, you can serve God and love God in lots of different ways, but then he has this broad will for you. And he actually says it in uh, Thessalonians. I don't have the verse here, but early in chapter four, he says, God's will is that you would be sanctified. No matter where you find yourself or what you find yourself doing, God's will is that over, to be sanctified is this idea that over the course of your life, he would be changing you. Through the power of his spirit, we just sang about it, that, that he would sanctify us, that he would make us look more and more like Jesus. Like that's God's will for you. And then he gets into saying, now here's, a little bit of how you do that. And so the first part of that, he talks about, hey, I, I need, you need to live holy and honorable lives. Don't be immoral. And he specifically calls out the Thessalonians for like sexual immorality and what they do with their bodies. This was a massive issue in the early church in the Roman Empire. And he's like, so you, you need to take care of that, 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 what's going on in your heart and how you're living and how you're honoring God. So there's our vertical. And then in verse nine, he switches gears and he goes back into the horizontal. Verse nine, 
and about brotherly love. You don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And so like, he's like, hey, about brotherly love, right? Like I, I prayed that you'll love each other and I prayed that, that, that God would increase your, your blamelessness, your holiness, your, your living for him. Now here's some instruction for you to be sanctified and live that out. Don't be immoral. Oh yeah, and I need to talk to you about brotherly love. There's something that needs to happen in you, and there's something that needs to, you have the posture you need to have towards the world around you. He talks about brotherly love specifically. Um, in, in the Greek, there are different words for love that have different meanings. In English, we've got one English word. It means love, and we use it for a lot of different things. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love barbecue. I love being outdoors. I do not love all of them the same, okay? I would have a problem if I love Christy the same way that I love barbecue, Okay? It's either weird or I'm sleeping on the couch. You be the judge, but it's a different kind of love, okay? Like there's, but we say, hey, love. Love is, like, that's, that's just the word that we, that we use. So in, the, in the Greek language, like, they got very specific ideas. There's agape love, which is the love of God, this love that is displayed by Jesus on the cross. It is self-sacrificing, I will die for you kind of love. Uh, there's eros love, which is like the romantic, erotic kind of love. Uh, there's storge love, which is this kind of familial love that like um, parents have for their children, that kind of love. And then there's brotherly love, the, the phileo love. And that's what Paul is using here. This kind of love that's like, we're in this together. We're shoulder to shoulder. We're side by side. You are not alone. We are on the same team. We've got the same goal. Let's go. I'm not leaving you. I'm in your corner. You're in mine. Linked arms, brotherly love, phileo. And then the word for brother, it's going to come up in this passage as well, is adelphoi. And so you put the two together, phileo, adelphoi, is where we get the, the city name Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. And so he's like, I want your, your, this brotherly love that you have. Let me talk about that, that you're in this together. You're in each other's corner. And he actually, he's got some high praise for them. He says, you don't even need me to write you about this because you're taught by God on this to love each other. They're actually doing this, as we're gonna see in the next verse, but they're doing this pretty well. They're being taught by God. So they, they've got the instruction of uh, the Old Testament scriptures and the, the apostles' teaching. They've, they're living this out together. They've got the spirit working in them. They've got the example of Jesus to look to. And Paul's like, you're doing this. This is, this is really good. In verse 10, he says, in fact, not only do you not need to be taught, but you are doing this towards all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. And so again, uh, Thessalonica is the capital city in Macedonia. It's a church there in Thessalonica. There are other churches in Macedonia as well, um, such as the Philippian church and the Berean church. And so Paul's like, you guys are loving, you're crushing it. You're loving each other so well. It's not just your little group, but your love is actually spilling out and going to other people around you. Like you, you, even, you may not even know these people, but man, you're loving them. In fact, you're doing it so well that we've heard about it. And so he's like, hey, good job. Way to go. Like you're, you're crushing it. But he doesn't just say, okay, mission accomplished, and you don't have to do this anymore. He's like, no, 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 no. Actually, you're, you're doing good. I want, to, I want to make sure I, I recognize that you're doing good, but we encourage you, brothers and sisters, do this even more. Do it even more. It's just the beginning. It's like you're just getting started. I want you to take it up a notch. I don't want you to stop. I don't want you to think that, okay, great, we've loved people. Cool, we can be done with that. He's like, there is this idea, and sometimes it really bothers me, but the idea is, man, in the Christian life, we don't ever get to stop loving people until we're dead. Like, it's just like, sorry, like, you, you will love, you got to love people till the day that you die. And that's Paul's instruction to the Thessalonians. Keep doing it. Do it even more. We've heard about it. Way to go, but keep it up. And it would seem as though the Thessalonians got that memo. If we look at some, some different passages in the New Testament, they get brought up again. Paul writes a, another letter to them, 2 Thessalonians. 
And he mentions their generosity there. But not only does he talk to them again about it, Paul talks to another church about the generosity of the Thessalonians. He writes to a church in the city of Corinth. Um, he, he writes a couple of letters to them, First and 2 Corinthians, and there, there's likely another one too that we don't actually have anymore. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul mentions these believers. And in, in 2 Corinthians, is actually written a couple years after 1 Thessalonians. And so Paul has given them these instructions, and a few years later, we get a sneak peek into how is that playing out. So Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So to, to a church on the other side of the empire, a different city, Paul's like, hey, like God is doing something in this other church over here in Macedonia, and we want you to know about it. Again, it's not just the Thessalonians, but the Thessalonians are included in the Macedonian churches. And what is this grace that God had given them? Like This grace being like God is working in them. He's doing something in them. Paul, tell us, what is he doing in the Thessalonian church? And he does. He says that in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. It welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. So like they're, they're giving like crazy. They're, they're thinking about others. And Paul's like, and no one is twisting their arm. No one is coercing them. Like they are just out of like the goodness of their, their heart and the overflow of what God is doing in them. They want to bless other people. And he says, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And so you have the Macedonian churches, you have the Thessalonians, who are, they are going through it, they are struggling there, but yet they come to Paul and the other apostles and say, please, will you let us help them? Please, we want the privilege, we want the honor of being able to help our brothers and sisters. There's, there's like this picture, of like they're urgently pleading, they're begging, we just want to help, we just want to help, even though they had their own stuff that they were dealing with. Right? They're dealing with their own stuff, and now that's just the reality of life. Right? We all deal with our own stuff. Like some uh, at different seasons, different moments, sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes it's just at like a level of annoyance, but there's always stuff going on. And that was going on in, in the, the Thessalonian church, the Macedonian churches, but it wasn't going to stop them from caring for each other. They're like, we know we're going through it and we know things are, are rough and, and we have extreme poverty ourselves, but we want to love and care for and support other people. It, this is the, the teaching of Jesus reflected in the prayer of the Apostle Paul, reflected in the instructions of the Apostle Paul, and the Thessalonians grabbing a hold of that and saying, okay, bet, we're going to do it. And they're living it out. This is a beautiful thing to see. They're loving God. They're loving people. They're keeping the main thing the main thing. They're not getting distracted. They're staying focused. They're living this out. And notice the degree to which it's instructed. It's not like a, I want to love you a little bit, care for you a little bit, support you a little bit. It's like, no, no, Paul's prayer is that it would increase and overflow. That he says, hey, you're doing this, but do it even more. That when he talks to the Corinthians, he says it, over, it, it flows over in rich generosity. They're begging for the privilege to do this. We get this picture of, hey, care for each other and love each other and don't be stingy with it. Like, like don't think, oh, man, how is this going to cost me? Am I going to get this time back or this effort back? He's like, no, no, just no strings attached. Just go crazy. Just go crazy. Don't think there's a finish line where you get to stop loving. You just go after it. Love, care for, and support one another. Now, the really cool thing is, is this, this didn't just happen in the Thessalonian church. We get some insight into that, and we get some specific instruction, but what we, we gain from other texts and what we gain also just from uh, looking at history and how the church movement got started is that this was the hallmark of all of the churches in the first century. 
this was the thing that set followers of Jesus like apart from the society around us or around them. There, there was something about the way that they lived. There, there was this, this love and this care. It wasn't simply what they taught. They taught some weird things for that culture, right? You believe there's only one God and that he died and rose from the dead. That was weird. But what really piqued people's interest was the, that belief paired with, wow, they love each other really, really well. And not only do they love each other really well, they, they love their neighbors and the people around them really well. This was the thing that defined the early church. It was a family that cared for each other from its very establishment. This is what it was about. We get a snapshot of this, of, of life in the early church in what we call the book of Acts. It's written by Luke, the same guy that writes the, the gospel of Luke. And it's like this historical journal of the first couple of decades of this church, this uh, Jesus movement getting off the ground and starting. And very early on, he paints a picture of what does it look like to be a part of this movement? One of the first descriptions that we get about what is the church is found in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Luke writes this, that they, talking about the followers of Jesus, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What we see in that snapshot is a group of people that just, they were over the top generous with their care and their love and their support for one another in different aspects of life. That there is a, a spiritual aspect in which they supported each other. You notice everything they did there was done together. They prayed together. They met together. They worshiped together. They listened to the teaching together. Like spiritually, like we're in this together. There, there was a, a physical needs aspect that was met. It's just extreme and it's crazy. It was this idea that nobody considered any of their stuff their own. Of like, nope, what's mine is yours. I've got something you don't. Let me help you however I can. Do you need this? Can I sell this? Can I help you? How can I help you? You have a need, let us meet it. And then they also met each other's kind of relational and emotional needs as well. There was this radical inclusion of, of like they met in each other's homes. Come into my home. It, was, it wasn't just like, hey, like we go to church or whatever. But it's like, no, no, no. Like my house is your house. My family is your family. You are welcomed in. Come be a part of this. They cared for each other. They were generous with that care. Tom Wright, in his commentary on Thessalonians, sums up the effect of this really, really well. He says this, that there is a twofold aim in all of this, in this kind of over-the-top love and generosity and support. He says the first is that outsiders looking at a new movement that made striking claims about Jesus as Lord of the world would be interested to see what effect it had on the behavior of the members. So first thing is like, you're, you're teaching some crazy things, but like, is this just something you believe or does it actually change you? And so one of the things about this love and support and care, it was, it was evidence to the world that like, no, there, there's legitimacy to this. But then here's the second effect, the second aim, is that within the fellowship, those in need should be provided for. He goes on to say that these are not side issues away from the real theological heart of the Christian gospel. As in like loving and caring for people. It's like, yeah, that, that's okay, but really what matters is like your theology and, and, and praying a prayer and those kind of things. He says, no, like this, isn't, this is central. This is part of it. He says, if God has created a new family in Christ, and if that family is based on and characterized by nothing less than self-giving love, these things are vital. I love how he ends it then. Bringing it into 
our day and our context. He says, happy is the church or blessed is the church or well off is the church today that discovers what love in practice looks like. Love in practice, not just idea, not just in theory, but love in practice. The, the, the early church had this mentality that we're called to have today. And if, if, I could, if I could put it in a phrase of what the church looked like then that I, I think we're called to look like today and the way we might say it today is they had this attitude of, I got you. Like whatever it is, I got you. Whatever you need, I got you. That we are called to be the kind of I got you people in the world. Right, like you, you need a place to stay, I got you. You need a meal, I got you. You need a ride, I got you. You need a job, I got you. You need someone to talk to and just work through junk in your life. You need some advice, I've got you. You need someone to just listen and be a shoulder to cry on, I got you. Oh, so you, you don't have some, a ride for your kids or you're running late from work, you need someone to get them from school, great, I got you. Oh, you've got an event going, coming up, a sporting event or a concert or a rehearsal, and, and I don't know you, we're not related, but hey, we're part of this church family, so I'm gonna show up, why? Because I got you. I would, like this idea of it does not matter what you're going through, big or small, what your need is, spiritual, emotional, relational, physical, it's just like, I got you. Like we are the people that are known for just this I got you with each other. And then we're like, hey, there's not a, there's not a mindset of scarcity here. There, like we have a mindset of generosity. And so not only do we have each other, but we have our community around us. I got you. I got you. I got you. We are called to be the I got you kind of people, the kind of people that are just generous with everything about us. To say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lavish care upon you and love upon you and support upon you and watch God work through that. That's what we're called to be. And so I want to I challenge us with three things this week to be those kind of people. Three steps. For you, it might just be taking one of these steps. Maybe it's going to be to take all three steps. But let me just encourage you, first of all, to be generous by caring for each other. The first thing is this. I want to I challenge you to take a step this week to know and to be known by people in your faith community. To know people and to be known by them. Because here's, here's what I know. It is really, really hard, if not impossible, to care for people that we don't know. Right? To go, I want to care for you, but I, I, don't, I don't know you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're carrying in life. But to take a step to actually get to know people, and on the flip side, to take a step to be known to allow other people to actually know us and, and who we are and what's going on uh, with us and in our lives. A lot of different ways that you can do this. Some are kind of structured, some aren't. I mean, it, it can be as simple as, you know what, I'm gonna stick around for a few minutes after the service and just talk to a couple people just to get to know someone. I'm gonna say, hey, hey, here's my number. I'm gonna text you this week, just check in. Maybe we can grab lunch. Maybe we, just those small things, those small things. Maybe it's more structured, like learn, uh, getting uh, on a serving team and serving alongside some people or getting into a community group or whatever it is, just this sense that says, okay, I'm gonna actually know and be known. And here's the thing. You're, you're, you don't need to know and be known by everyone, nor can you know or need be known by everyone, but, but you do need to know and be known by someone. Right? There can be someone who can be in your corner with that brotherly love to say, I got you. I got you. So that's the first step. Here, here's another step. Take a practical step to care for someone this week. It could be as, as simple as, you know what, I'm going to dedicate some prayer time this week to pray for nothing but other people's needs. No, no, nothing that's going on. Like this, this moment, that's for later in my day, but at this moment, at this hour, for this time, I'm going to pray for what I know is going on in this person's life. Or maybe it's just showing up and, and someone needs someone to listen to them. Take a step to do that this week. Thanksgiving is coming up. Some of you host just fantastic meals in your homes. Maybe it looks like, hey, I'm going to extend the invitation for people that don't have somewhere to share Thanksgiving to come into my family and share it with me. And here's what I know. I know that some of you are doing this. And I 
see it, and it's awesome, and it's incredible, and I just want to applaud you and say, way to go. But I also want to maybe encourage you with the words of the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonians, you're doing this, but do it even more. Like, don't stop. Keep going. Take a step to care for someone this week. And here's the last one. I debated whether or not I should even put this one in here, but I thought, you know what? I need to because I know I need to hear this, and I know some of you do as well. Part of being generous and caring and being a part of a community like that, for some of you, you need to allow yourself to be cared for this week, right? You're really, really good at caring for other people and meeting other people's needs, but you're not great at allowing other people to meet yours. And, and I say this as one who I'm like, yes, this is me. Everyone's like, how are you? I'm fine. I'm great. It's all wonderful. What can I do for you? Let me get the focus off of me. What can I do for you? But allow yourself to be cared for your community of faith, cared for by your community of faith. Because here, here's, here's what I want you to hear. Don't rob the other people of the blessing of being the hands and feet of Jesus in your life. It, it, was, it was Paul writing to the, to the Corinthians. And what, what did he say? He's like, they pleaded with the privilege, to have the privilege of caring for people. And so there are people in this church who want to have the privilege of caring for you. Take a step towards this posture of care and generosity this week. Take a step to, to know and be known, to care for someone, and to allow yourself to be cared for. This is what it looks like to live out this kind of radical generosity. I want to pray for us. And I simply want to pray the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians. I want that to be our prayer this morning. So let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would cause our love for one another and our love for the people around us to increase and overflow. God, I pray that you would make our hearts blameless in holiness before you. We love you and we thank you for who you are. We give you all the glory. Amen.